I'm going to tell you a story. Um, it's not an easy one at first. Uh, I have a, a good friend, and he has experienced uh, just some heartbreaking pain and rejection because, unfortunately, of his experience with Christians and church. And after decades of being a really good Christian kid and checking all the boxes and doing all the right things, um, he decided to take a risk. He decided he was going to open up to some friends and some church leaders that he, he knew well, and he was going to open up to them about one of his deepest sources of pain and fear. And he had hoped that his honesty and vulnerability would be met with the kind of love and understanding that was frequently displayed by Jesus when he interacted with people like the woman at the well and Zacchaeus when their deepest secrets were unveiled. But instead, he found himself treated a lot more like Job when his friends sat around him and told him that his pain was really all his fault and he needed to suck it up and get it together if he wanted to experience God's blessing again. And my friend suddenly found himself ostracized and avoided by these people that had been close to him. And the result was that he built a wall around his heart. And he really didn't want anything to do with church or church people or even God after that. And there have been a lot of people who have worked to try to break down some of that wall. And I'm one of them. I've had a lot of conversations with him where I've tried to convince him that this is not the way that God loves or responds to him. And I've shown him specific examples in scripture uh, that show how Jesus consistently met people where they are, and he loved them without shame. And I've reminded him that there are a lot of other Jesus followers in his life who love him without checklists or conditions, but so far I haven't been able to break through. Understandably, he's angry and he's hurt, and he's suspicious, and I get all of that. But in one of the most memorable conversations I have ever had with him, uh, he told me that he wanted so badly to just be able to write off the whole idea of faith altogether. He just wanted to throw it out as some useless fairy tale that we'd all somehow fallen for. But he can't because of one data point, his dad. And he told me that day, you know, the guy my dad was growing up and the guy my dad is today are completely different. And the only explanation I can find for that is Jesus. Now, his dad's a pretty quiet guy, (laughs) not really probably the kind of guy who talks about his faith a whole lot. But as his life has been changed by God's love, and as he's consistently shown up loving his son, he's become the foot in the door that keeps my friend from just slamming the door shut on Jesus altogether. That's why I'm really thankful for that dad. And guys, this is what it looks like to practically be salt and light in our world for people where my friend had lost his taste for faith. And he was experiencing the darkness of rejection and hurt. His dad's steady, loving presence is bringing flavor and light and hope into his world. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we wrap up this series. We've, we've called it Savor and Shine. And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at the, this section of Jesus' uh, famous Sermon on the Mount, where he uses these very familiar salt and light metaphors for how his followers are to show up in love for the world. And the good news I get to proclaim to you today is that what we embody the way of Jesus and we live as salt and light in our everyday lives, God's kingdom breaks through in real time. That which was bland and tasteless gains fullness and flavor and where there was darkness, light begins to shine. So I want us to start by taking a look at the scripture, and we're going to just read it all the way through one last time, 
Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people hide or light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. So the past few weeks, we've been unpacking each of these metaphors one week at a time. And in week one, Brian talked about the salt metaphor. He reminded us that we get to add flavor and fullness to our world when we preserve the worth of every single person. And then in week two, Jeremiah talked about how we don't have to make light shine. We get to let light shine because our good God is already at work in the world. And our job is simply to illuminate the work he's already doing. And then last week, Brian talked to us about this idea of being a city on a hill. And he said that when ordinary people like us bless others in ordinary ways, people take notice and they're drawn to God's goodness. So today we're going to wrap up this series. And what we're going to do is just look at some practical tips for how we can embody this kind of salt and light living in our own day-to-day lives. And the first one is this. If we're going to live this kind of salt and light life, We have to start by orienting ourselves toward others. We have to look outward. And this idea is echoed all throughout this passage of Scripture. I love how Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. The light that shines, it shines on all who are in the house. And then he ends this whole passage by very explicitly stating that we're supposed to shine our light for all to see so that they will see our good works and they'll praise our Father in heaven. And I wonder if this, this idea of orienting ourselves toward others is part of why Jesus t- chose these metaphors of salt and light. Because that's kind of how they work too, right? Like we don't add salt to food so that it'll taste salty. If food just tastes salty, that's kind of a bad thing. We add salt to elevate the other flavors in the food. And light works the same way. We don't just shine light for its own sake. We shine light to see things around us. And if you just stare directly at a light, that's going to hurt your eyes. But we turn on a light so we can illuminate the things that are going on around us. So when we're thinking about this idea of how to be intentional about salt and light living in our world, we have to start by looking around us, orienting our lives toward other people, and looking at at the people that God's put around us and where those needs are. As Brian uh, encouraged us last week, to actually be willing to go toward the darkness. You ask yourself things like, how can I bring out the fullness and flavor in her life? How can I illuminate God's presence and his goodness and love for him? This others-oriented living, it's, a, it's one practical way to begin to embody the way of Jesus and to live salt and light in our everyday lives. And when we do this, we get to see God's kingdom break through in real time. Those areas where we see blandness and tastelessness begin to gain fullness and flavor. And where there's darkness in our world, light begins to shine. So we start by orienting ourselves outward toward others. And the second practical tip for embodying this kind of life is that we have to hold on to both salt and light at the same time. Because, guys, our world doesn't just need to hear about God's goodness. They need to experience it, right? I I love how David described it in that psalm that I read at the beginning. Taste and see how good the Lord is. We have to taste salt. We have to see light. We need to experience both. 
And because here's the deal. So if we lean into only salt or we lean into only light, that creates potential for some problematic things to start happening. For example, if we get really good at living the salt life and like not the kind on the beach bumper stickers, but like what Jesus is talking about here. As soon as I said it, I'm like seeing the picture. (laughs) That was weird. Um, (laughs) We get really good at living into salt. Um, Then we, we get really good at just meeting people where they are. We learn how to love them as they are and embrace them just like Jesus did. And that is a really, really beautiful thing. But if we don't ever lean into the light too, if we don't illuminate God's way, ideal way of living, then that person may feel seen and understood and cared for in their darkest moments, but they'll also probably miss out on the hope that life can actually be better and brighter as they move toward Jesus and they begin noticing how God's at work in and around him, him, them and saying yes to that work. But on the other hand, if we lean way into light and we don't have the salt, uh, that can be a problem too. We end up spending a lot of our energy trying to talk up how good it is to follow Jesus and how great his way of living can be, but we never actually learn to sit with a person in their pain, and we never figure out how to look on love with someone with whom we have major disagreements or differences. And when we show up for others with that kind of like light without salt energy, we end up looking, I think at best, like naively idealistic and maybe out of touch. And at worst, we can come off as judgmental and perfectionistic and legalistic. But when we embrace the both here, when we begin to embody the way of Jesus and live as salt and light in our everyday lives, God's kingdom breaks through in real time. The things that are bland and tasteless gain fullness and flavor, and where there's darkness, light begins to shine. There is a community of people that I think does this and holds this tension really, really well. And it's the recovery community. Uh, Some of you may have been a part of 12-step programs, or you know someone who has, like, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. But I'm going to be honest with you, they are some of my favorite people to be around. (laughs) And I think it's because they do such a great job of holding on to both salt and light. My friends who are part of the recovery community and have been for a while are just unflinchingly and unapologetically honest about what it looks like to experience the depth and pain of their addictions. And they can talk about some of the most painful moments in their life with so much openness and authenticity and freedom. But they never stop there. And that's where it gets really great. They talk about what it looked like for them to begin surrendering to the love of a higher power in a kind of day-by-day, moment-by-moment awareness that helps them walk out of the darkness of their addiction and toward the light. And they're just relentless people about inviting others on that journey, too. I love that about them. They will show up for somebody, no matter how inconvenient it is, in their darkest moments, and they love them without shame or guilt, but they're always pointing them toward the light and toward the love and goodness that's possible when they surrender to God's help. This is salt and light living at its best. It really is. So we have to start by orienting ourselves toward others, We have to hold on to both salt and light. And then the last tip I have for you is when you're in doubt about holding on to both salt and light, I'm going to encourage you to default to salt. Start there. Start with salt. Um, In one of his letters to Timothy, the Apostle Paul actually warns people in the early church uh, about these guys who were teaching uh, what everyone else should do and think, but they very clearly lacked love. 
And he says about them, their teaching only causes useless guessing games instead of faithfulness to God's way of doing things. The goal of instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The goal of instruction is love. I think there's this old saying, we've all probably heard it before, people don't really care what we know until they know that we care. And I think that's incredibly true for most of us. We can work really, really hard on illuminating the goodness and the opportunity and hope of God's way of living for other people, but if those people don't experience our love for them, they probably don't care what we say, right? Jesus did this so beautifully. He started with salt. He met people where they really were. He took an interest in them. He asked questions of them. And he asked how he could help, how he could serve them. And then he began to point them toward light. He started talking about the ways God was at work already in their life, and he invited them to join him. And if Jesus managed to do this, to even people who were like literally going to betray him and crucify him, then I think we can start trying to follow his example and embody love to people like the coworker who always takes the last donut in the break room. Or that friend who always posts the political rants on Facebook. <laughs> or the family member who made a life choice that you disagree with and it's causing a lot of pain for a lot of people. When we begin to embody the way of Jesus and we live as salt and light in our everyday lives, God's kingdom breaks through. He does the work. We're just joining him in it. And the things that are bland and tasteless in our world begin to gain new fullness and new flavor. And when there's darkness around us, a light begins to shine. Now, I'll confess to you guys, as I was working through this message over the past couple of weeks, uh, it was pretty obvious to me that the one I struggle with the most is this last one. Um, Defaulting to salt is something I really have to work at and be intentional. Because light is what comes easiest to me. I am uh, an Enneagram One. Uh, We're known as the Reformers, or sometimes less charitably, the Perfectionists. So I always have an eye on how things can be changed to be made better. (laughs) And also, one of my primary spiritual gifts is that of teaching. (laughs) And the combo of these two things (laughs) means it's really easy for me to want to, like, tell everybody how we can all be better all the time. (laughs) That's not a bad thing in and of itself. Um, You may have questions for Craig about how easy that is to live with. Um, But it is also part of probably why I'm standing up here this morning. But those words that I say, they're going to be really hollow if I'm not also learning from Jesus how to actually sit with someone, meet them where they are, see them as they are, embrace them in their pain, without some sort of impetus to jump in and tell them what to do and fix it. (laughs) And what I'm learning the last few years about that pattern of jumping to fix things is that it's often probably motivated by my own discomfort. And that when I act too fast to fix, I actually miss the opportunity to see where God's already at work in the situation so I can join him. And my light isn't helpful if it's pointing down the wrong path. The only way I'm going to know which path to illuminate is if I'm following God's lead and not trying to jump out ahead of him because I think I know how to fix things. Practically, this means that when I feel that urge to fix or explain or jump in, I'm trying to learn to stop and ask questions first and just listen. And this is one way that I'm practicing right now, not doing it super well. It's a day-to-day thing I have to work on. 
to practice being salt and light for the people that God puts in my path. My hope and my prayer is that the more I learn to embody Jesus' love for people and meet them where they are, live as salt and light in my everyday, ordinary life, the more people will begin to see, not me, but God's goodness. And they're going to be drawn to him, and they're going to want to explore this way of living that they saw change in me. This reminds me a lot of the last practice in our 10 Practices for Becoming. Uh, we talk about these, these practices all the time, ways that we can uh, embody God's love. We can learn from Jesus how to live and love like he does. Uh, but the 10th practice is I guide someone else to learn from Jesus how to live and love like he does. And as great as it is for us to experience the fullness and the light of God's kingdom for ourselves, God also calls us to help other people find their ways to his kingdom as well. And the best part about engaging in this practice is that you don't have to be an expert or pass some sort of test. There's not a rite of passage to get to that point. You simply have to be engaging and growing. You have to be saying yes to what God's doing, learning these other kinds of nine kinds of practices, learning to be aware of God's activity in your life. And as you stay connected to God and you allow his love to transform you and you let it flow through you to the people he puts in your path, I promise there will be opportunities to invite others along on the journey. But you can only invite them on a journey that you're already on. And we are all about equipping people to take that journey around here. Uh, We actually have some really great equipping opportunities coming up, and I'm going to talk to you about those at the end of the gathering. Um, But I want to tell you a story of somebody who was part of our Get Real group. Um, Really great guy who, uh, for a lot of years, has followed Jesus and has a strong heart for other people to know the love that he's experienced. And uh, joined a Get Real group, and every week he was there feeling so guilty. And it was like he had this checklist in his mind that he was supposed to be doing all these things for God. And he had such a big heart for the people who were hurting around him. And he was trying to figure out how to make all these significant conversations about God happen with these people. And it never worked out. And he felt like he wasn't doing enough. And the longer he was in this group and he had the support of the people with him, and the more he began to discover, hey, God's already at work in these situations. He cares more than I do. The more he started to notice what was going on in people around him. He's just like going to the grocery store or to a family gathering, and he would notice that he was really perceptive, and he would notice when somebody was hurting. He would ask questions and listen really well. And people just started opening up to him about like their deepest secrets, the things they were struggling with. And all of a sudden, he was having those conversations he'd spent decades trying to make happen all over the place. And it was beautiful to watch God work through this guy in a way that was freeing because he didn't have to make his light shine. He just had to let God's light. This was the way that he embodied the way of Jesus. He was showing up as salt and light in his world. And when he did, he got to experience God's kingdom breaking through right in front of him. And we get to do that too. We can look around and notice where there's blandness and tastelessness in our world. We have the opportunity to bring fullness and flavor. Where there's darkness around us, we can show up and embody God's love and be the light that begins to shine for them. As we wrap up this series, I want to make sure we take a moment to really reflect on where God's at work in each of our lives, where he may be inviting us to live as salt and light right now. So I'd like to invite you to just close your eyes where you are, get comfortable, 
If you're online, join us in this too. If you're someplace where you can close your eyes safely. Just take a few deep breaths. Now, I'm going to ask a series of questions. And I just want you to see what God brings to your mind. Pay attention to that. Notice what he may be trying to say to you. What people or places in your life right now could use some salt? Where does life around you feel bland or tasteless right now? What people or places in your life could really use some light? Is there a situation that you're aware of where you see darkness dominating right now? I want you to just pay close attention to whatever faces or situations God brought to your mind. We're going to pray for those specifically right now. Father, we want to thank you that you're already at work in our world, that you care about these situations that we care about way more than we could, and that you're already there. You're already at work, and you're inviting us to join you and be salt and be light and embody your love in those places. I pray that this week we would continue to notice where you're at work, we would notice where there's darkness, where there's tastelessness, and we would move toward it, and that we would um, stay connected to you and stay present to the people in front of us and embody that kind of love for them. Thank you for the opportunity to join you, and thank you for the freedom that you're the one who makes uh, the light and the salt happen. We just get to let it flow through us. In your name, amen. There is a, a prayer that's pretty famous in the church and has been for hundreds of years. I read it for the first time hanging on a wall in the back of this building in a classroom. And it has stuck with me ever since. And as I thought about us wrapping up this series, I felt like it encapsulated so well what it looks like to assume the posture of salt and light in our world. So we're going to bring it up on the screen. And I, we're, gonna, we're just going to read this prayer together as a declaration of our intention to embody God's love as salt and light in our world. Can we do that? Do we have that up there? Okay. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Amen. Amen, guys.